but that in relationship anarchy, relationship refers to every relationship. Yeah. It's your relationship with your mailman. It's your relationship with, you know, your your coworkers with the person that you met for two seconds, you know, as you're walking down the street, that all of those are relationships rather than, you know, our typical societal use of relationship means romance and sex. Mm-hmm. So I was going to say yeah. a partner, but that's not... <laughs> <laughs> Today's the day that Multi-Amory reached a new low. <laughs> you so said it. You said between friend and partner. Yeah, and but you're like, the one who right said the there. word partner. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating. If you enjoy sucking at communication. And you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships. Broaden your sexual horizons. Develop a better understanding of yourself. Or learn more about non-monogamy. Then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multi-Amory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about Relationship Anarchy 101, There's a lot of discussion online about how to actually define relationship anarchy and how best to bring those principles to your real-world relationships. We also talk about it a lot on this show. In this episode, we will be covering the Relationship Anarchy Manifesto by Andy Nordgren and how you can apply it to your life and your relationships. You know, we got a lot of listener feedback about people wanting more coverage of relationship anarchy. Yeah, and I think it's, a lot of them, like me, are not 100% certain like how to define it or how to completely think about it or like what it means entirely. I kind of have the layperson's like lowdown of it, but not necessarily like the manifesto. So I'm excited to get into that today. Yeah, I've also read a number of different people's articles online who are part who are you know more intensely involved in the relationship anarchy movement, who argue that it is or isn't certain things that I might disagree with or that other people might disagree with. And so obviously with any kind of, you know, any kind of movement or philosophy or whatever, just like polyamory, you can have a lot of different people who say, no, it's definitely this or it's definitely that. What we want to do here is go back and look at essentially the original source material that so that then you can have an understanding of oh other people might draw some different conclusions or they might say hey this movement needs to change to include these things but you'll kind of get the core of it which i think is is where the real brilliance of it lies is in the simplicity of this manifesto um so this was originally written by a person named andy nordgren who is swedish and posted it originally in swedish in 2006 um and that uh you know was was published in 2006 and andy was working together you know online through their site uh, which was andy.se uh, a Swedish site between 2004 and 2008, where relationship anarchy was kind of being defined and refined. Uh, but this document, which then was translated into English by by Andy, uh, this document is kind of the original one that sort of popularized this, made it accessible to other people, gave sort of a roadmap 
for what relationship anarchy actually means and what it's all about. So anytime you hear people arguing about whatever relationship anarchy is or isn't, this is kind of where it really started. Uh, and so what we want to do on this episode is go through the nine sections of that. And it's it's a fairly short document. I definitely recommend checking it out. It's beautifully written. Mm -hmm. um, but go and check it out. We're going to go through these nine sections and kind of talk about what this actually means for your real life relationships, how we've talked about it on the show, and also some of the other views that people out there have brought to it or have put upon it or different things like mm -hmm. that. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited about this one to get get really into the fundamentals of what this is all yeah, about. Yeah, every time, because I've done a lot of the same of like reading different people's blog posts and articles and Facebook posts of mm -hmm. their own interpretations of relationship anarchy or relationship anarchist principles. Um, but every time I come back and read this document, I'm just so inspired because it, it is just like so simple and mm -hmm. not overwrought and very easy to understand, I think, um, that really helps bring this really good foundation to it i think um so should i start us off with let's the just, first yeah, yeah, first one it. here Dive so right number in. one so love is abundant and every relationship is unique relationship anarchy questions the idea that love is a limited resource that can only be real if restricted to a couple you have capacity to love more than one person and one relationship and the love felt for that person does not diminish love felt for another don't rank and compare people and relationships Cherish the individual and your connection to them. One person in your life does not need to be named primary for the relationship to be real. Each relationship is independent and a relationship between autonomous individuals. So this is a principle that, of course, I think in conversations around polyamory already gets trotted out a lot. This mm -hmm. idea that love is abundant um, and love is not a limited resource. Something that I want to make sure that people understand when they're listening to not only this, but also the rest of the manifesto is that this is not just talking about romantic or sexual relationships as well. That's kind of another important part of this is that when it's written here that every relationship is independent and it's a relationship between autonomous individuals, that means you and your friends, you and your family members, you and your coworkers, you and your fuck buddies, you know, it's every type of relationship, not just romantic relationships, which I think is where polyamory sometimes tends to veer off a little bit in focusing only on relationships where there's a romantic or sexual chemistry, which is not necessarily a bad thing to do, but that's just how it's different. Yeah, and they shatter that whole kind of structure of primary like right off the bat. That's true. Which is really cool because again, yeah, even if someone doesn't operate under a hierarchical like romantic relationship structure, they still maybe will put their the people in which, you know, they have sexual relationships first or or romantic relationships first or primary above other people. So I like this idea that right off the bat Andy decides we're not going to do that or that's not what this is about. I think the other key element here is that that it's not just about I mean here I think it's more about like couple privilege which is something we've talked about before on the show but you know this idea that something's only real if it's mm -hmm. a couple or if they're primary or they have power over other relationships but I think to go to what uh, Dedeker was mentioning about um, you know, not making this hierarchy between your romantic versus your friends versus your, you know, friends with benefits or your coworkers, you know, whatever it is, that instead every relationship is autonomous. And I think that's in this last line here is that each relationship, 
and this relationship in the broad sense. Each relationship is independent and a relationship between autonomous individuals. And I think that autonomous individuals part is sort of the key to understanding uh, why some sort of hierarchy or a primary would be a problem because if another person is sort of enforcing rules upon you in your other relationships, then you're no longer an autonomous and, individual. And the person that you're in mm -hmm. a relationship with is no longer an autonomous individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, um, I had gotten in a really big fight with my boyfriend and then your kid boyfriend? I was hanging. Yeah. My, Wait, well, how old of a kid was yeah. your first? How old of a kid? <laughs> No, like I was a kid. I was I was fourteen. Okay, and that he kind was of 17. kid. I was when you were like so when pretty, I was a kid. I was thinking young. like seven years old. And <laughs> no, like yeah, I was fourteen or fifteen, and you know it was my first big relationship, so it felt really real at the time. But I remember like hanging out with my best friend James, and um, I was he was talking me through you know what had happened during the fight, and then my boyfriend called and was like, hey, like let's talk, let's think about this and stuff, and. Then I was like, okay, James, I got to go. Bye. Mm. And James was like really hurt by that. And I get it because I was blowing him off for my boyfriend. Mm. And yeah. I think about that now a lot. How like immediately, even back then when I was really young, I still had this idea of, you know, my boyfriend always comes first. The person with whom I'm in a r romantic relationship will always come first. Mm. And my friend, even though he's my best friend and I've known him forever, he will automatically just come second because of that. And this kind of shatters that again. Well, that's a classic thing. I mean, that's almost a universal experience of yeah. people losing a friend to a relationship. And it's like you're not technically allowed to complain to your friend about that because we kind of assume that, oh, well, naturally, when you fall in love with somebody, that person has to become the most important and number one priority by default. Yeah. I think that's actually a really great segue into the next section here. Em, do you want to do that one? Yeah, okay, this is a longer one. So love and respect instead of entitlement. Deciding to not base a relationship on a foundation of entitlement is about respecting others' independence and self-determination. Your feelings for a person or your history together does not make you entitled to command and control a partner to comply with what is considered normal to do in, re in a relationship. Explore how you can engage without stepping over boundaries and personal beliefs. Rather than look for compromises in every situation, let loved ones choose paths that keep their integrity intact, without letting this mean a crisis for the relationship. Staying away from entitlement and demands is the only way to be sure that you are in a relationship that is truly mutual. Love is not more real when people compromise for each other, because it's part of what's expected. Gosh, this is Whoa. good. Gosh, yeah. no, this, this reminds me of, and it's so interesting because it is such common wisdom to hear like, well, a relationship is compromise mm -hmm. um, and conflict yeah, resolution is compromise. But it reminds that. me of, there was this video of Eartha Kitt floating around for a while where someone was interviewing her kind of asking why she wasn't married yet. And she was a little bit older in this video. Okay. Or like why her relationships hadn't worked out. And, and somehow the conversation went on that the interviewer asked her like, well, would you be willing to compromise? And she just like cracked up and was like, why <laughs> should I compromise? Like, I know what mm. it is that I want for myself and for my life. And that makes me happy. Why should I compromise? And wow. I feel that uh, that ties back into this, this idea of letting someone choose a path that keeps their integrity intact. And rather than trying to find a compromise, 
And I feel that very much is related to personal boundaries, to each person in the relationship being allowed to have boundaries. And I think to me, I interpret that as also saying like, it is okay for a relationship to end if mm-hmm. if what you both want is different or is at cross purposes and it doesn't have to necessarily be a crisis, you yeah. know? Because I think that's what we see all the time is like people in a relationship where they want to do things very differently but instead of being like, okay, well then I guess that means we're going to have to deescalate or transition the relationship in some way, trying to just like struggle and hang on and make it work and basically make each other both miserable because both sides are compromising and getting something that they don't really want. Yeah. I think something I want to point out though about this is, and I, again, I think it comes up in the last sentence here, is that uh, love is not more real when people compromise for each other because it's part of what's expected. And I think that that's something I want to clarify here because I think that every day in all of our relationships with anyone, there is certain levels of compromise, right? I think this tricky part is it's like by by understanding that I'm not entitled to get any certain Mm. type of behavior from you, Mm. that at the same time, that means I have to compromise a little bit in terms of what I, what kind of relationship I have. It's more about what I think the the key here is that it's not compromising because it's what's expected. Mm. And it's not compromising because someone else is entitled to that. That doesn't mean you never do anything for anyone else or you're just entirely selfish all the time. It's about this like, you know, having integrity for what are your core beliefs and what are the things that truly matter to you. So I think that's just something I wanted to clarify in case, because I could see someone else looking at that and going, oh, so basically be selfish all the time Mm -hmm. and never do anything for anyone else. That makes sense. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I wanted to ask, like the difference I guess would be don't compromise like a core belief such as polyamory or something like, hey, I am polyamorous and I don't want to change that just because I want to be with you, for example. I think, is that like the difference for somebody to feel entitled that they are owed that simply because they're in a relationship with you? For um, sure. I don't even think it has yeah. to be that broad, though. It could even sure. just be something I'm like... I'm just saying, like a core belief, potentially. Yeah, that could be a core belief. I mean, if we apply this, you know, out to other types of relationships as well, I think this could even come down to some sort of core religious or spiritual belief. Mm. Um, this could also apply to something like my core having belief kids. in yeah, having kids or not. Yeah, actually, that's a great example yeah. of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that I don't think that's a belief in the way people typically call it a belief, but it's a core principle of what you value. Mm-hmm. So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe core values is better than core beliefs because yeah. belief kind of implies certain types of things. Well, I think if I was going to apply it to like Emily's situation with her really deep relationship with her best friend, James, that for instance, if if you were in a relationship with somebody where that person is entitled to having more of your time and more of your emotional attention and feels threatened if you ever give that to James and is expecting, that person's expecting you to compromise on how mm-hmm. much time and attention you give to that relationship with James. Mm-hmm. Like that's a situation where it's like, no, you're, you're having to compromise just because this person feels entitled because that's just the way things are normally expected to be rather than letting you make a choice that keeps what you value intact, which is still being able to have a good relationship with James, right? Yeah, I think that's a good distinction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shall we move on to yeah, the next one Yeah, let's move here? on to the next one. Yeah. All right, so this next one. Find your core set of relationship values. How do you wish to be treated by others? What are your basic boundaries and expectations on all relationships? 
What kinds of people would you like to spend your life with, and how would you like your relationships to work? Find your core set of values and use it for all relationships. Don't make special rules and exceptions as a way to show people you love them for real. And the for real is in quotes there. Mm-hmm. So I think, real. I think this is great because it's kind of each of these sort of builds on the last one. Um, but it's, yeah, finding this thing that applies to all your relationships. And I've used this example in the past where I think most people would agree for your parents to have a say in who you can or can't date and the idea that they could tell you just like no don't date that person I don't have to explain it you just have to not that mm-hmm. most people would go yeah not gonna happen <laughs> yet yet we will give our romantic partner our primary partner that kind of power sometimes mm-hmm. and I think that's uh, another you know kind of again that this is going back to both the first two sections of this just um, being autonomous staying true to your core values. But I think this is really important to figure out what your core values actually are, mm-hmm. right? Because <laughs> if you don't know what they are, you might not realize that you're compromising them in certain situations. Well, that's, yeah, and very much related to boundaries. It's why often with my clients, I always bring them back to like, what are your actual boundaries? What are your boundaries? No, actually figure it out, actually write it down. Because if you don't know, you're going to end up, you're most likely going to end up in a situation where those boundaries are being violated and you don't Mm. even know that they are until it's far too late, until it's already happened a number of times, until it becomes that much harder to actually enforce them again. Um, And that no one else can know your boundaries if you aren't clear about them. Yeah, and I think that's also why I encourage clients to do things like I did, like my constitution that I wrote, that I included in my book. I was just going to say. You know, some kind of... And that can, and again, it can change, of course, as we grow and as we mature and as we have more lived experiences, our values and our boundaries can change, but it's important for you to be person number one who is aware of what they are. Yeah, yeah and also to make those known, I think that's a really mm. important thing because I don't know, it, 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 a, a situation like our radar that we talked about um, a few episodes ago, I think is incredibly important just to make that known to your partner or to all partners and to have it very ingrained within you um and and to not it it can change like you said but not to have it be a compromise necessarily that's going to devalue what you want or what you care about in your relationships Mm -hmm. and the other thing is i know we've said this on the show a number of times but when you do have clear boundaries and when you do have clear values you'll actually find that people will respond to you quite well if if it's if you're in a relationship and it's the first time that you're enforcing your boundaries, it'll probably not be a very comfortable change. There may be some discomfort, there may be some conflict, but you will find that when you actually let people know clearly what your borders are and where you begin and end and what you do stand for, people know how to relate to you much better. Yeah. Even if that means that they can't be in a relationship with you or a romantic relationship with you, they at least they know instead of it being kind of this ambiguous back and forth thing which Amorphous, I think is where yeah. where people are more likely to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, you know, write up a big pamphlet that you hand every person you meet right away. Or write a book like I did. <laughs> or do that. I mean, I think Here that, are my boundaries and my values. Here's, here's yeah. all of Read my values and my entire please. philosophy. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I'm saying maybe you're realizing that I don't have a clear sense of what these core values are and that that is something that might take some time to figure out. And they can, of course, change over time as as you change. But 
actually taking the time to get to the core of that. And if you are already in a long-term relationship and you've started doing your monthly radar meetings, that could actually be a useful time to get get some feedback and help to help you uncover those, which I think can be good as a way to help your partner feel included in that process rather than it's something that's pushing them away. Uh, also would help to start from a foundation of both just understanding that this is an important thing to do and that it's worth doing, uh, but then also to spend some time on your own. So this isn't just something that that someone else has kind of made for you. Um, you know, actually spending time on your own as well. But I think that to to go back to Dedeker's thing of having, you know, written your constitution and kind of getting really clear on these are things that I expect from all of my relationships, as it as it said in the in the manifesto here, is that you don't have like if you're really clear on those, you don't have to send a pamphlet to mm -hmm. each person who meets you because right away, if something starts to get close to that or if it comes up in conversation, you'll know very clearly how to answer mm -hmm. that instead of a, I don't know how I feel about that or, uh, or saying, oh, I actually have a boundary about that when maybe you don't, mm -hmm. right? Maybe it's just something that makes you uncomfortable. And, you know, we're, we're all about allowing yourself to be uncomfortable sometimes. But it's if you don't know where the boundaries are, then you don't know what's an okay discomfort and what's not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Next one. Yeah. Um, heterosexism is rampant and out there, but don't let fear lead you. Remember that there's a very powerful normative system in play that dictates what real love is and how people should live. Many will question you and the validity of your relationships when you don't follow these norms. Work with the people you love to find escapes and tricks to counter the worst of the problematic norms. Find positive counterspells and don't let fear drive your relationships. Counterspells. I love like it. We're I know, wizards. Like, we're yeah, relationship we wizards. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Woo. This one is an intense one because I love it. it's absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that and I do love that it is related to this fear thing of don't let fear lead you, because I think that Maybe this is a little bit of a controversial statement, but I think there are many people out there who are led either to monogamy or maybe to marriage or to having a home or to having kids less out of, I really want this to happen. I really want this for my life and more out of, I'm afraid of being alone. I'm afraid mm -hmm. of dying alone. I'm afraid of everyone else getting these things and me not getting them, um, which is you know related to our wanting what you don't want episode. Mm -hmm. um, that there can be this very human fear of my life looks different from everybody else's life, at least on the surface, and that must be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And and it's so incredibly pervasive. It's so pervasive. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people find when they first come to any kind of non-traditional relationship or polyamory or relationship anarchy or whatever, that it can be very lonely in many regards. Ironically, even though you may have more partners or more relationships, it can still be very lonely because there is still this very normative driving force that kind of dictates that what you're doing is not normal and is not going to be supported. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to go back to something that I've said on the show that the, my mother said around the time when we were becoming polyamorous and it's conviction. Have mm. conviction for what you're doing. And I, I cannot tell you how many times I have spoken about polyamory to people, to, to coworkers, to colleagues, to, um, you know, just new friends or whomever. 
and how having conviction about it makes people be like, shit, that's really something. That's really a thing to think about. Or even like, I've had people be like, I wish I could do that. I wish I had your courage to be able to, you know, live your life, live my life in the way that I wanted to. Um, And that's a really fascinating thing that I think, yeah, if you are, if you do have conviction about the thing that you are doing, in spite of like all of the bullshit that may be thrown at you, I think you still have the opportunity to make a change and to be a positive force in, you know, I guess what we're doing here, what we have continued to do for many years. Yeah, I think that this line here too about the work with the people you love to find escapes and tricks to counter the worst of the problematic norms and spells and then counter spells yeah um (laughs) to to not you know allow your relationships to be shaped or driven by fear and i I do like that too that it's not just saying like be strong and tough it out it's Mm -hmm. saying like no be proactive Mm-hmm. actually talk with your your partners mm-hmm. or your friends or your family or whoever it is that loves you and supports you in what you're doing to say okay let's find ways to counter these these norms that are going to get enforced upon us mm-hmm. and i think that depending on what your life looks like this could involve something like talking with your partners about how we're going to keep this secret because of potential problems with our Uh, jobs or families or something Mm -hmm. and that it's it can I think that can seem like being driven by fear and I think it could be like Mm -hmm. I think some people are closeted about this purely out of fear and not out of a real need to be Mm -hmm. and we generally on this show encourage people to come out if they think that they can because that's going to help normalize it in the larger picture for all of us and Mm -hmm. I also find it just makes it a whole lot easier when you're out but even if you can't be it's being proactive and having like actively having conversations with your friends and your partners and your loved ones about this as opposed to just kind of always being afraid and so never really like mm-hmm. allowing your relationships to grow or or not having open conversations with people because you feel like you might need to push them away mm-hmm. if if you start to feel unsafe at your job or in your home life or mm-hmm. something right it, it's it's a tricky thing there to mm-hmm. sort of evaluate you know what's being driven by fear and what's proactively trying to counter mm. these things yeah 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 i also All was right. just realizing as i was saying that that even in making the distinction of your friends or your partners or whatever mm-hmm. is already mm-hmm. kind of going against the core idea of <sighs> relationship anarchy here which is that people don't need to be put into these broad categories and instead every single relationship operates on its own terms mm-hmm. yeah yeah and definitely it's, it's hard i feel like our language makes that challenging it does it, it does does yeah. we don't really yeah. have an in-between word between you know friend and partner to just sort of cover all of that just any rela- any, any human that you are related to in right. some way not like blood related but relating to because in relationship anarchy generally the word used is relationships yeah or you know loved mm-hmm. ones to mean people who are you know more serious in your life mm-hmm. but that in relationship anarchy relationship refers to every relationship yeah it's your relationship with your mailman it's your relationship <laughs> with you know your your coworkers with the person that you met for two seconds you know as you're walking down the street that all of those are relationships rather than you know, our typical societal use of relationship means romance and sex. Mm-hmm. So I was going to say yeah. a partner, but that's not. 
<laughs> Today is the day that multi-amory reached a new low. <laughs> you so said bad. it. You said between friend and partner. Yeah, and but you're like, the one who right said there. the word partner. It's right there. <laughs> too good i definitely want to use that please don't i really don't think that's gonna help stem the tide of stigma and people not understanding what any of this is about i'm sorry that really got me (laughs) oh jeez I'm glad that I make you oh, laugh. Oh, man. Good God. Okay. okay. So on that note, should we talk about some other Kira was so proud of us. I was things. like, we're getting into like such good, deep, meaty, <laughs> philosophical stuff. Like, I just I love this. And I'm so inspired. Bit, and now guys. we got to bring it back. Got to bring it back down oh, to boy. Earth. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. And with that, let us go into the next one, which is build for the lovely unexpected. Being free to be spontaneous, to express oneself without fear of punishments or a sense of burdened shoulds, is what gives life to relationships based on relationship anarchy, organized based on a wish to meet and explore each other, not on duties and demands and disappointment when they are not met. Ooh, I love this one. Yeah. I, I particularly awesome. love the phrasing of build for the lovely unexpected because, you know, I think we do talk, like, obviously we talked in our episode about expectations of being able to let go of expectations and leave yourself open to things being organic and free in the ethical slut. They have the whole chapter on clean love that I love, which is about leaving yourself open to love in its many forms instead of trying to shove it into a particular shape or a particular box. And I think that that does leave some people feeling like, oh, it's just a free-for-all and it's going to feel like I don't have any ground underneath me and how do I function with that? Does Mm. that mean I have to have zero plans for the future or that I have to not have any kind of vision for my relationships? But here it says build and to organize Mm -hmm. based on a wish to meet and explore each other. And so it's like bring this intentionality to your relationships, but it's like a focused mindfulness and intentionality that isn't about we need to, you know, dictate exactly how this is going to go or how exactly how it's going to look mm-hmm. which I, I love yeah. kind of bringing those two things together 
Yeah, and just freeing oneself from, like, the check boxes that you have to mark off, mm. like, within a relationship is so huge. I think it, being able to go into a new um, date or, or whatever, like, I love going on a date and, like, not having to be auditioning someone Good to God. be a, a freaking, you yes. know, <laughs> is this the father of my children or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, any of that shit. So that is really, I think, freeing in so many ways. And that it can change over time. Like, you know, Jason and I were once really romantic and very, you know, and we lived with each other and all of those things. And now, like, we're super fucking great best friends and mm -hmm. I think know each other even better than we ever have before. And that you can't, you know, there's no contingency plan. Like, you can't decide oh that's how this relationship is going to go right from the beginning yeah and i've just i've had so many relationships that i've been in and where i've thought like like this is the person i'm going to be with for the next 30 years and then i'm going to build mm -hmm. a life with and that is going to be by my side every single day and had other relationships where it's like oh this will probably just be a casual thing while i'm passing through town you know like don't need to take it too seriously and have in both cases been totally shocked and surprised to find it turn out the other way where the person mm. that I thought I was going to be with forever doesn't work out and is actually maybe not a, not a good choice a at all for me, or maybe a dickhead. <laughs> We're not going to go down that particular path right now. Um, no, but then also no, the no. opposite of where relationships that I didn't think were going to be that serious mm -hmm. or that I didn't think I was going to really fall in love with the person, like it actually grew into really beautiful, long-lasting, wonderful relationships. Um, and so it just, I think in my life, I feel fortunate that I've gotten a lot of examples of that, of that, um, you know, it can always turn out differently in really good ways as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that this, that just made me think of, again, to go back to this idea of building for the unexpected is how a lot of people have, you know, posted in our Facebook group for patrons about um, how they use radar in their new relationships, that they'll do these monthly check-ins, even in early relationships. And that it's, again, it's going about things intentionally. And it's not saying that, oh, we're doing this because we need to manage a household because we're definitely going to get married and move in together and have kids and all these things. But instead, it's just, let's be intentional about our relationship, whatever it is. And mm -hmm. I actually think that makes you more able to adapt and change when there is that kind of proactive communication the whole time. I think, and then this last part about that you're you're together based on a wish to meet and explore each other and not on duties and demands and then disappointments when those aren't met. I think it goes also mm -hmm. back to the the first one, I think, or the second one about entitlement. Yeah. Right? Is not kind of thinking, oh, well, they didn't spend time with me, so I'm going to be disappointed uh, because I, you know, I should have gotten that as opposed to every time you do get to hang out with them saying, oh, wow, this is amazing. Even if it's every day, it's still, mm -hmm. gosh, I'm so excited that they're choosing again to spend time with me today, <laughs> right? Even if you're in a monogamous relationship, uh, you know, that's still just that approach. And maybe I'm getting a little bit like Buddhist here, right? Like every <laughs> breath is a gift, but you know, really it's true that, that every yeah. moment you get to spend with your partner that you know that they're choosing to be with you Mm -hmm. is a really special thing to be excited about uh, rather than something that's just normal and then any lack of that is the disappointment. Yeah. All right. All right. The next one here is fake it till you make it. 
<laughs> Sometimes it can feel like you need to be some complete superhuman to handle all of the norm-breaking involved in choosing relationships that don't map to the norm. A great trick is the fake-it-till-you-make-it strategy. When you're feeling strong and inspired, think about how you would like to see yourself act. Transform that into some simple guidelines and stick to them when things are rough. Talk to and seek support from others who challenge norms, and never reproach yourself when the norm pressure gets you into behavior you didn't wish for. Hmm. God, the fake it till you make it. That was some of the best advice I've ever received from a Buddhist nun, actually. <laughs> really? Yes. Yeah. No, I was so surprised. Um, because it was when I, yeah, it was when I was at the monastery, and people were talking, obviously not about relationship anarchy, but just about living a mindful life and trying to be a more enlightened person, you mm -hmm. know, and having a lot of love and loving kindness for people that you don't like. And the very natural question of like, well, how the heck do you do that? And the <laughs> nun was just like, sometimes you gotta fake it till you make it. Like, <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> um, yeah. That it, sometimes it is that of, even in the moments when you're feeling particularly challenged or maybe particularly depressed or particularly jealous or insecure or whatever, that sometimes envisioning the best version of yourself um, and then acting accordingly can really have some amazing results. And I, I, I want to differentiate that from um, spiritual bypassing, like the thing that we talked about with Jessica Graham, mm. like not about no matter what happens in my relationship, even if someone is being a straight up dick to me, I'm gonna be just like float above it all and be a perfect little angel. Um, that's a little bit different, I think. It, but I think in situations where you're, you know, your boundaries are not being violated, nobody's doing anything wrong, but you're still having trouble because you're doing this courageous work of doing something very different, um, that those are situations where envisioning yourself as this courageous, as this whole, as this person dedicated to their, own integrity and their values, um, who is confident, uh, that that can really help to shape your behavior to get through those kind of more difficult moments. Yeah. But on the flip side, I also appreciate that this section kind of tells you that it's not the end of the world if you do have those feelings mm -hmm. and that you don't need to punish yourself and that you can let yourself off the hook a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because so many people will say to us too about polyamory, like, oh, well, you guys just may never be, must not ever be jealous or mm. I'm jealous sometimes and I get so frustrated with how my jealousy kicks in and it's like, it's going to happen. It happens to everyone and that's okay. And it's just how you continue to work on it and work through it and maybe even fake it till you make it. <laughs> yeah, I think this, this last part of it that you're just talking about is so beautiful. It's this never reproach yourself when the norm pressure gets you into behavior you didn't wish for. I think that wording is really interesting too, because it's about, it's not just saying, oh, I reacted a certain way, but it could even mean that you've ended up in a type of relationship that you don't actually want to be in, or that you've, you know, allowed certain other things, uh, certain other core values of yours to be compromised, that this doesn't have to mean that you're a failure. It doesn't mean that oh, those must not actually be your beliefs if you're not able to enforce them and stick to them. Mm -hmm. That instead it's just don't beat yourself up over it because there is all of this pressure uh, you know, coming at you, whether it's from your actual partners or just from society or from your you know, sort of long-held beliefs you've been taught since you were a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, to just, I, I think there's a lot of power because if you beat yourself up for something, you tend to give that thing a lot more meaning 
as opposed to just going, okay, uh, you know, I did that. I don't love that I did that, but now I can move on and, and choose who I want to be now. But the other thing I did want to address with this is it specifically says when you're feeling strong and inspired to mm. think about how you'd like to feel yourself act and then transform that into some simple guidelines and stick to them when things are rough. Mm -hmm. So I think in addition to what Dedeker was saying about in those hard situations, trying to imagine like, what is the strong me going to do, right? What is the enlightened me going to mm -hmm. do here? That instead is when you are feeling good, setting those guidelines, which could look like things in your constitution, like Dedeker did, or, you know, getting clear on what your core values are and how you want to respond to different situations to sort of set those up as guidelines for yourself. So even when you're really not feeling it, even if you are feeling really insecure or really jealous or whatever, you know that I have this guideline about what I am and I'm not going to do. So I'm going to stick to that right now, just so I'm not hurting my partner or I'm not compromising my values. And then I'm going to take some time to work through how I feel about it instead of feeling like you need to work through all those feelings first before you can even answer a question mm. or even, mm -hmm. you know, exist in that moment. No, ready for the all next right. one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Trust is better. Choosing to assume that your partner does not wish you harm leads you down a much more positive path than a distrustful approach where you need to be constantly validated by the other person to trust that they're there with you in the relationship. Sometimes people have so much going on inside themselves that there's just no energy left to reach out and care for others. Create the kind of relationship where withdrawing is both supported and quickly forgiven and give people lots of chances to talk, explain, see you, and be responsible in the relationship. Remember your core values and to take care of yourself though. This one is an interesting mm -hmm. one. Damn. No, I, oh, it really resonates for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah take it away. Um. <laughs> just, it, just because, oh God, I can't tell you how many times like I'll hear a partner say something and be like, that fucker, like, or just <laughs> immediately say they are out to get me in a way. Mm. And that's a bad habit of mine that I know that I need to work on. But I think radar actually helps a huge amount with this because it takes the emotion often out of like an initial interaction. But hmm. I think sometimes I will immediately like jump to the worst conclusion and to have this idea in mind that, hey, someone is really being you know good to you and probably wants your best interest then that is super important to remember um yeah wow i, I like this one a lot yeah i think also just the idea of choosing to trust that someone's with you because they want to be mm -hmm. uh, i think that's also in this too um you know, as opposed to needing to constantly be validated by the other person to like convince me that you want to be with me. And that can definitely be hard to do. And I'm certainly not great about this one all the time, but of just choosing, choosing to trust that the people who have a relationship with you, whatever it is, do that because they want to, mm -hmm. and that you don't need them to constantly tell you that in order to believe it. Uh, yeah. I think, or or needing to find some way to prove it. And I think that's also where in polyamory, a lot of sort of rules and hierarchy can come up is by saying like, oh, well, I need proof that you actually do love mm. me. And so you've got to show that through these other compromises or through letting me have power over your other relationships or through these other things. And that that sort of comes down to this fundamental lack of just trust 
that you actually mm-hmm. do feel the way you say you feel. Mm. I think this section in here where they talk about create the kind of relationship where withdrawing is both supported and quickly forgiven. I think mm. that's really mm-hmm. interesting that that's in there and I'm kind of trying to wrap my brain around it. Um, well, I mean, God, like I, I'm also a freaking spewer and to have somebody <laughs> withdraw is really difficult for me. And I've had to learn, especially in the relationship, my live in relationship partner, he's very much a chewer and needs his time to go withdraw and be Mm. alone. Mm -hmm. And that, especially at the beginning, like even in the first two years, I was like, fuck this. Why, Mm. why is he leaving? Why is he leaving? And it should, I I'm getting better at forgiving that or, or at least like just letting him do his thing because I think it is important. It's just a different way of approaching a problem. I think that there's some clarity too in the sentence before it, which is that Mm -hmm. sometimes people have so much going on inside themselves that there's just no energy left to reach out and care for others. Um, I think to use a personal example here, um, that a couple of years ago, Dedeker was having a really Mm -hmm. hard time in other parts of her life that, you know, weren't specifically about me, but that she needed to withdraw and needed a lot of space. And that was very hard for me at the time. Um, And I think though, through that process that we have learned how to be a lot better with withdrawing, whether it's, I I think when we hear withdraw, we think like emotionally withdrawing and closing off. Like taking something away. Right. And I think here instead, withdrawing could just mean sort of needing some space or just not Mm -hmm. needing to be around each other or not needing to talk about everything that's going on. That is sort of granting that. And I think that through that experience, we've really learned how to do that well. And that I don't think we did before mm, through like yeah. really having to learn like, no, this is not something to force through, but like you need your space when you need it to process things. And and then also for me, it's been really powerful to learn that I can have that if I want to. Mm, that yeah. there are just sometimes when I'm sort of like, you know what? I would rather do my own thing tonight than spend time with you. And that's not because I don't love you. It's not because I don't want to be with you. It's just, that's just what's going on for me tonight. And I think that for a long time for me, and I think I even still struggle with it for a long time. I didn't feel like I could do that. Mm. If someone else wanted my time or my attention, it wasn't an option to say, I really just want to do my own thing tonight, whatever that is, Mm -hmm. Uh, that that was a really hard thing to do. Um, But I think again, through that, through that process um, that you and I went through Dedeker, I think I learned how to do that for myself as well, which also made it easier for me to give it to other people. Mm -hmm. If I was willing Mm -hmm. to do that for myself, interesting, of Mm -hmm. just allowing people to have their space and withdraw and that it doesn't have to have meaning about me attached to it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Next one here. This one is change through communication. For most human activities, there is some form of norm in place for how it's supposed to work. If you want to deviate from this pattern, you need to communicate. Otherwise, things tend to end up just following the norm as as others behave according to it. Communication and joint actions for change is the only way to break away. Radical relationships must have conversation and communication at the heart, not as a state of emergency only brought about to solve problems. Communicate in a context of trust. 
We're so used to people never really saying what they think and feel that we have to read between the lines and extrapolate to find what they really mean. But such interpretations can only build on previous experiences, usually based on the norms you want to escape. Ask each other about stuff and be explicit. I love that Andy here just wrote like the perfect advertising copy for multi-amory radar <laughs> for, our, <laughs> for our monthly check-ins. Uh, Right? It's just that. It's just that, like, like communicating not in a state of emergency and communicating outside of just the context of solving problems and right. within the context of trust. Don't yeah. have a relationship meeting when things are falling apart. Yeah. Start mm. having them now so that you have those in place. Mm. It becomes normal for yeah. you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's awesome. I think the thing that they point out here that I really like is that... It's in the context of the fact that we're doing something different from the norm. Yeah. Because as we talked about in our cultural intelligence episode, there are cultures who are much more nonverbal, much more reading between the lines. And so and so when I was reading this, I was like, hmm, huh, I don't know. Is this is this okay to be saying you have to do things like our culture or in this case you know like their culture like a, a Swedish relationship anarchist culture of <laughs> talk explicitly about everything but I think when you put in that that specific viewpoint of because we're not doing the normal thing you can't quite rely on just that we're all going to have the same cultural assumptions because that's mm -hmm. how we've ended up doing the same thing the whole time mm -hmm. so the fact that we're actively trying to change that I think that even when you're in a less explicitly uh, you know, a less explicit communication culture that you're still going to have to up how explicit you are about it uh, mm -hmm. in order to have that kind of shared experience, that shared understanding. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really interesting perspective to put on it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't know. I don't cool. know what else to say about this because it feels pretty straightforward. Go pretty listen to our radar episode. Yeah, listen to the radar episode. <laughs> listen to every other radar, communication radar, radar. hack or communication tool episode that we've done. It can really help you with all of this. Yeah. 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 No, but that one's pretty straightforward and awesome. Well, I think always. actually, I think this is a great one for people to go listen to the movies episode. Hmm, that's a good um, one too for yeah, early yeah, on yeah. in a relationship. Yeah, because sometimes yeah. people when it comes to things like, you know, ask each other about stuff and be explicit. It, sometimes people are just not even sure how to start with ask? that. And it's, yeah. it can help if you have something like movies already set ahead of time so that it's not like, well, I'm the one having to be explicit asking this question. It's, we're just kind of following this and it, it creates a context for us to be able to share very clearly. For people just joining us for this episode, we're not talking about movies that you watch. No, don't, we're talking don't, about, no, we're don't talking do about that. Take your partner to the movies. We're talking about our episode where the we acronym. have our acronym for questions to ask new partners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, let's go on All to the right. next one. Yeah, so this is the last one, which is customize your commitments. Life would not have much structure or meaning without joining together with other people to achieve things. Constructing a life together, raising children, owning a house or growing together through thick and thin. Such endeavors usually need lots of trust and commitment between people to work. Relationship anarchy is not about never committing to anything. It's about designing your own commitments with the people around you and freeing them from norms dictating that certain types of commitments are a requirement for love to be real, or that some commitments like raising children or moving in together have to be driven by certain kinds of feelings. Start from scratch and be explicit about what kind of commitments you want to make with other people. God, I freaking love this one so much. <laughs> I, 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 
I love all of it so much, but I think this it's is all one of so good. one of my favorites because I know that especially early on when I first was exploring polyamory, this was mm-hmm. a question I would get a lot right. from from family and friends who were supportive of it, but still had this question of like, well, what's commitment then? Right? Oh, so yeah. you know, if you're you're partner gets sick you just going to leave them because then you're not getting something from there and you're going to go spend time with your other partners and things like that and i don't feel like i had as good of words to explain it right <laughs> didn't I, have the best words i didn't have the best words to ex- <laughs> oh, god no sorry sorry um that i i didn't have the right words to explain it i didn't have a way to explain it eloquently but i think this does a good job of it that it's saying you absolutely can make commitments to people they just don't that one type of relationship doesn't have to have certain commitments and that in order to have certain commitments, you don't have to have a certain type of emotion. It doesn't all have to be packaged together. Exactly. Yeah. I think oh, I realized just said the wrong thing. It's about designing your commitments with the people around you. That's what did you what say? What did you say? I think I said designating. I don't know. Okay. I, I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't even I didn't catch even it. catch it either. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, so I think a really good example of this, and this was, um, I I don't remember where this came from. It was in another article that I was reading about relationship anarchy, but was giving the example of two friends deciding to raise a child together and Mm. to live together. And that those two friends, and I say friends to mean that they have a non-romantic and non-sexual relationship, but they love each other very much. They've understood each other for so long. They, you know, have a lot of history together that they make a commitment to say, we're going to raise a child together and we're going to live together. And we commit that we're always going to live together. And Mm -hmm. that that doesn't mean we're not going to have other romantic relationships, but that any relationship after this will understand, I already have this commitment with you. Mm -hmm. Right. And that I think that that is really challenging to people Mm. because they think oh gosh well I couldn't fall in love with someone who already had that kind of commitment with someone else because we have this association with certain types of commitment having to equal certain types of feelings certain types of but in reality it's like who the hell cares like you can still have a really amazing romantic relationship with someone even if you're not raising a child with them Mm -hmm. and it can still be super committed yeah yeah and that you could also have a very committed loving relationship with someone that you don't have sex with mm-hmm. yeah i think that absolutely i think this one actually happens a lot more often than people realize because it's usually not talked about so much but with um married couples who have decided who've actually managed to have a good co-parenting relationship even though mm. their own romance and sexual relationship has ended Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of relationships fall apart over this and fights are fought over this because of that entitlement that people come in with and sort of the the fact that it's violating the norm of what we think we should have Mm -hmm. but when people do that successfully and it definitely happens i think more than we realize when couples can have that kind of real hard conversation and not feel like we need this to look like what we always thought it would look like that they can have really successful co-parenting relationships which may or may not involve them each having other romantic and sexual relationships with other people maybe that's just consensually right that maybe that's not something they're even looking for anymore Mm -hmm. at this phase in their life but whatever it is they got to write that script themselves Mm -hmm. even if they didn't start the relationship that way 
that having that kind of honest, clear communication, you can create something intentionally that's going to fit with, you know, what, what are your commitments? What are the things mm-hmm. that matter to you? Instead of feeling trapped into like, yes. well, I've got to commit to this because of this or because we're married, I have to be willing to have sex with my partner, mm-hmm. even if I don't want to. Or right? I have to, we have to live together. Ha- or, right. Yeah, yeah. That's a great yeah. one. The whole. Yeah. Or if I'm going to have kids, it has to be with the person I'm married to. Yeah. And it's, All I mean, that. and this definitely starts getting into territory where people get really scared and get really weirded yeah. out. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it just, I mean, and unfortunately the law hasn't caught up to that yet. No, definitely not. Um, I just know to speak from my own experience, you know, I'm not somebody who's really gung-ho about having children of my own. The last time I remember that idea ever being appealing to me was when I was thinking about it in the context of raising it with a close friend. Hmm. When that, that thought just kind of spontaneously occurred to me, like I had a friend who was thinking about having a baby and I was like, oh my God, I could totally co-parent with her and it would be great. And like that yeah. was the last time that I remember feeling excited Aww. about the concept of raising a child within mm-hmm. that context. Um, but not necessarily- I was just thinking of you and Paul together raising a child. Oh my God. <laughs> well, that was not what I was thinking of. I, jeez, uh, I can't even, that child, how would that child turn out? Wow. It would be a hilarious kid. It would be the most That'd entertaining like a, child. It would be like a sitcom. Yeah, <laughs> yes. seriously. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, all right. So thank you all for, for listening through this. Um, I am really glad that we finally took the time to do a Relationship Anarchy 101. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to basics about all of this. Um, yeah. It's something that is long overdue. So thank you for sticking around and waiting for those of you who've been asking for this episode for a long time. Um, I think there's so much here in this. This is one of those things that every time I read it, I pick up on more things. I I get other subtleties or I realize, oh, that's just like this situation or or whatever it is. And I really, um, really appreciate the fact that Andy Nordgren put this together. Um, Right. They they say that they did sort of come to all of this with other people, but for being the one to actually put this together and to translate it into English for us, (laughs) which we really appreciate Uh it. Yeah. It's a great translation. Yeah. It's fantastic. It is. It is. What happens when you live in a country that teaches you two languages from the time you're a kid and does it well. Yep. There it is. Yep. And on that note. And I'm really glad that we revisited this because I think I just I hear from so many people this question of like, does being relationship anarchist or for instance solo poly or poly or whatever, does that mean I never live with anybody? Does that mean Mm. I never have kids with anybody? Does that mean I never get married? Does that mean I think I heard someone say, does that mean I never will grow old with somebody and like share the coffee and newspaper with them when we're both 70? And it's like, of course it doesn't mean any of those things. You can have all of those things. It just doesn't have to all be the same relationship and it doesn't all have to look the same way that it does to everybody else's. It's just bringing this intentionality and this mindfulness to the the commitments that you make and that it's okay to customize them and for them to look very different yeah yeah um so what we're gonna do um i will include a link to the manifesto perfect um in our show notes so if you want to read it yourself it's a very short read um and very clear i love sometimes in the moments when i am feeling more confused about my own relationships or if i'm feeling challenged about what it is that i want or what i don't want sometimes i will pull up this document and just get a refresher and just be like oh yeah that's some good (laughs) stuff this is good this is great Um, great. so very useful for that if you would like to have your question or comment played on the show you can call 
six seven eight M U L T I zero five zero five. And you can leave us a voicemail. You can also send us an audio message at the Multiamory Facebook page. You can email us at info at multiamory.com or you can send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. To support our show and join our private Facebook community, go to patreon.com slash multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. 